Hey, I'm Jason Wood, the VA Loan Guy and host of the Armed and Ready podcast. Please come and check out this exciting episode we have for you. Welcome to another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood, the VA Loan Guy. Today, we have a really cool episode. We have Navy veteran Knight Campbell here joining us today. Knight, thanks for coming, brother. Jason, thanks for the invite. Excited to talk. Yeah, man. Um, so, you know, we were chatting a little bit um, before just about kind of our military experiences and our past and stuff like that. Um, but I'd like to kind of share with our audience a little bit about your past. You know, you went to the Naval Academy. You're an aviator for a while. So, you know, walk us through, you know, the Academy was a dream. I got nominated to the, to the Academy too. And I really wanted to go because Top Gun was the reason I was going military. Got right? me too. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I was, I was uh, going to fly F-14s and do yeah, all that. Right. Of course. Um, so I didn't get into the academies because my SAT scores, but clearly you did. So walk me through kind of like your adventure, like kind of, and I think getting into the Academy is kind of an interesting topic. I don't think we've talked about it on the show. Like, what are they looking for? How do they do it? Like there might be some parents here that have kids that maybe yeah. want to go that route. And it's a great route. Yeah. Amazing absolutely. education. Um, but they look for certain stuff. So tell us a little bit about kind of your whole experience, you know, getting into the Academy and, and how that went. Yeah. You know, I, I laugh. My grandfather gave me this model F 14 and that was top gun got me for sure. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to fly F 14s. And I remember the day it probably was open source. Like, information out there for a long time before this that the f-14 was going away but i was like wait they're not going to be f-14s like that's the whole reason i did this yeah <laughs> uh so that was a surprise when they transitioned to the f-18s but the academy's great you know i and i got to see it i went to the academy as a student i went back to teach and i think that gave me a lot more perspective you know mm-hmm. as a student i was young and when you're, when you're not 25 yet, you're not cognitively developed. And so there's a lot I just didn't understand. I was like, oh, the process is dumb and nobody understands what's going on and they could be more blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, as a company officer teaching there, I remember uh, the Secretary of Defense, General Dempsey at the time was speaking to all the midshipmen and you could look around 4,000 people, you know, there are 30 company officers and I'm looking at my, my other company officers colleagues and we're all like leaning forward with notebooks like voraciously capturing everything this man says because he's amazing yeah like, it's super intelligent individual and all the midshipmen are like, <laughs> like well, you're missing out and you oh. just you don't have the capacity so the, uh, all that to say the academy just puts you in opportunities that are unparalleled they have great internships they, they send midshipmen out on Knowles courses for 30 days they take people into the fleet and you get opportunities to go fly and uh, do cool stuff and see what you want to do. Oh, that's the cool. academics are amazing. I mean, there's so much amazing about it, Yeah, uh, but it's only as amazing as what you take away, what right. you invest. In. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as a, as a kid, it was hard because you, you have academics, you have athletics, you have professional development, you know, they're 20 hour days a lot of times. And uh, it's hard to figure out what the priority is, you know, like listening to the secretary of defense, is probably more important than finishing an English quiz, but I'm thinking about the grade. So I'm like trying to do my quiz while SecDef's talking. <laughs> so I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, I, no, I think, I think it's opportunity. Yeah. I think it's cool perspective. I remember, um, you know, kind of gearing up like when I was in high school to try and, you know, get into the academies and just kind of learning like, and for those, and you can correct me if I'm wrong too, but you know, they're looking for that 
student who obviously gets good grades, um, but is really like well-rounded, right? Like right. isn't just a student, isn't just an academic person or isn't just a football star, right? Like they're looking right. for someone who's like, gets good grades, plays different sports, has some leadership roles. Maybe you're a team captain. Maybe you're in the ROTC program. Maybe you're into music too. Like they, they want people with a lot of that balance, but at a high level. So right. they want you to be like kicking butt at a high level, like in all these different categories. Right. Yeah. I, I was laughing with someone else who went to the academy. It's very humbling. You know, I, I went to high school, 58 people uh, in my class, like very small. And, uh, you know, I was valedictorian. I had straight A's, blah, blah, blah. And I got there and I was not the smartest person in the room, not even close. Yeah. You know, I was not the most athletic. Uh, I was not the fastest runner. Like I was just average at best when I went there, which was uh, kind of strange and, and scary and also kind of cool. Like, okay, I've got a lot of room to grow. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, you're there with all these other high school rock stars. Like they're, they were the best at their school at pretty much everything. Right. right. You know, or, or many things. Um, so yeah. And then, then you kind of go through the nomination process, right. Which there's a couple paths for that too. Um, you know, the congressional nomination is the primary one. Right. right? Um, so, you know, in, in each either Senate or congressional office has, you know, probably an application and, and stuff like that you got to do and you go interview and all that stuff, which is, it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat to get that letter in the mail, you know, yeah. from like a Senator yeah. or Congressman, you know, saying that they've given you their, their nomination. I still have all mine. Cause it's just nostalgic, you know? Yeah. That's um, really cool. And then, and then you got to apply to the university. Right. Like right. once, yeah. once you get nom, it's not over yet. Uh, you know, then you still have to ending. get into the school, which is yeah. where I hit the roadblock. Um, but then it's, you know, SAT scores, transcripts, you know, like essays, like all the regular, like college entrance stuff right. then comes after that. So right. you've got a few hurdles before you get to that point. And physical tests. I remember, yeah. you know, both medical, you got to get medically qualified and then you got to go do sprints and push-ups and all these things that, you know, University of Virginia doesn't necessarily require. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'd also just to throw out the Naval Academy is amazing. It's an incredible opportunity. You know, if, if my daughter wants to go there, I will be very excited because we won't have to pay for it as well. Yeah. Um, That's a nice perk. But, you know, like there's this sense of, oh, Naval Academy graduates are better. Like we're ring knockers. But after like six months in the fleet, people in ROTC, people in OCS, like, they can't, they're at the same level. There's really no, yeah. You wouldn't be able to line up a bunch of officers and be like, Oh, those three are Naval Academy and those are OCS. Like, yeah, I think statistically the OCS and ROTC folks perform at the same level or higher level. And sometimes, you know, that they know how to take care of themselves at the Naval Academy. We're day in, day out doing professional development classes, sports, and being fed. We don't know how to cook. We don't know how to pay bills. We don't know what rent's all about. Yeah. Uh, so there's a big learning curve and just practical knowledge on the back end of the academy too. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, in the ROTC path, I think is an OCS path. I mean, those are both really good ways. Absolutely. You know, being an officer in the military is, is the right. goal. Um, yeah. Those are both really, really good ways to get there. Um, and then, so, you know, the, the education, I think from all the academies, you could, put them all kind of at that very high echelon of like what you're going to get for an education. Right. And I think I've heard people say, you know, it's, it's comparable to like an Ivy league education, um, which is awesome. I mean, for anybody's child, you're looking to put them into an amazing college. Not only do they gain 
all the other benefits, military career and all the other things that can come with it. But purely the education, you know, if they just do the shortest stint in the military and they're out, they've got a lot of good fallback. Right. And an incredible network. Yeah. yeah. The network is service Academy graduates is huge. Yeah. And I've noticed that just, you know, my industry in the real estate industry, just witnessing and meeting other folks who went to the academies and that network that they have, it's really strong. And they know people all over the place, Right. you know, like, Oh yeah, I can call that guy. Right. I can call that gal. Like no sweat. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a pretty cool network to have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, after the Academy, obviously going to the Navy and you got to fly. Yeah. So, um, you flew 60. So tell us, tell us a little bit about, you know, the, the pilot experience and, and what you had to go through there. Yeah. So I, it's funny, you know, from the Academy, I thought about doing a master's program. There are a lot of opportunities to go do a master's and and whatever. And some of my classmates went, you know, to Oxford and things like that. Pretty incredible. And I was like, Oh, I can't do two more years of school. And then I went to flight school, (laughs) (laughs) which is two more years of school. Which was two more years of school. Uh, but it's it's cool. And I think one thing I learned, I was talking to someone who's getting their pilot's license. It's always like every time you make a transition it's really hard. So you'd move to a different place and you have to learn, you know, what altitude to fly in and out, who to talk to, what and when to turn where. And it was just confusing and it felt scary because if you turn the wrong direction at the wrong place, you could run into someone else. I understand the, the systems and engines and drive system throughout the aircraft, like forward and backward, easy day. And then you go to another aircraft and be like, oh, no, I don't know anything. And it's like a good life lesson of when you do new things, it's going to be hard. Yeah. So just be patient. I think for myself, I'm like, ah, I must, I must be terrible or dumb or, you know, not good at this thing. But of course you're not, you've never done it before. So yeah, you're brand new to it. I think it helps you too with just building that fortitude. Right. Right. When you get hit with the the new challenges, like, okay, well, I don't know what I don't know, but here we go. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, transitioning out of the military, whatever transition it is, just give yourself a little bit of grace for six months, a year, two years, whatever it is. And, uh, it goes much more smoothly. Yeah. But, yeah. So tell us about flying. So, um, do you get to go any, any cool deployments, any places that kind of stick out in your memory that you're like, Oh, that was awesome. Oh, you know, the one thing I went all, all kinds of cool places. I got to do counter piracy, Gulf of Aden, a lot of Western Pacific stuff. So, uh, a lot of building relationships, which is funny. I, at the time I was frustrated. I was like, what is this China thing? And, why am I not shooting hellfires? I have to fly around and do surveillance and it's not exciting and sexy. <laughs> and now that I understand like the, the geopolitical scene and where China sits in the U S and like, what we were doing is a lot more important than shooting hellfire somewhere. Um, but yeah, one thing that I remember is we were flying off the coast of Malaysia somewhere and it's like sunset time. Mm-hmm. And it was just the way the atmosphere was, there's this giant red sun, just really cool. And there's a freaking eclipse. We had no clue this was going to happen, oh, wow. but there's just, I mean, it's like the size of the sky, like ridiculously large red sun with an eclipse. If we climb, we can watch this for longer. So we just kept climbing and climbing and the sun kept going down and going down and we got to watch this amazing sunset eclipse. That's pretty cool. It was pretty cool. So cool little stories like that. You know, we got to do lots of cool things. Uh, we used to, the IRTC is kind of the traffic lanes in the Gulf of Aden where uh, shipping would go through uh-huh. and we get up every morning, take off around 5 a.m. and 
we talked to the ship and that is kind of how they build their picture of situational awareness. And uh, I remember it was, it was always fun. We do like a traffic report. And, Good morning from Battlecat 2-4, your traffic report on the IRTC. We've got a <laughs> Russian shipper and you're going in this direction and this speed. And it looks like they've got a lot of freight on board. And we just do the whole, <laughs> and you can hear the people on the ship just laughing. So That's cool. We had a lot of fun with it. But tell me about the piracy stuff. Do you guys? Yeah. So where were you, where were like the piracy thing, like off the coast of Somalia? Like yep. it was where you typically hear about it, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're off the coast of Somalia. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. You know, like Somalia um, doesn't technically have borders. So oh, I know normally that. like I couldn't go within 12 miles of a country. And, and I'd, I've never been to Africa, you know. So my co-pilot and I were like, let's just go over the coast of Africa. And we're like trying to get as close as we could. And the ship's like, you're getting really close. And we're like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we got yelled at for that one. Um, we were playing like uh, the rains over Africa or whatever the song, you know, oh, yeah. on the speaker and the aircraft. And it was fun. But um, yeah, the counter piracy, was, it was an interesting mission. You know, it's kind of at that time, I think it was around 2010. It was a big thing. They were stopping a lot of traffic and um it was important. It felt cool to be doing that. It was also frustrating because you'd, uh, we get a report, you know, from a group three, a, a tanker or something like, Hey, we're taking shots. We're taking RPGs. And so yeah. we'd blast over there max speed and you'd see like a little boat with pirates in it and you'd see them throw their weapons all overboard, pull up fishing poles and start fishing. <laughs> and you're like, well, like I've seen this, but there's no evidence. Like, it's not like I can, yeah. take down these pirates or do something dramatic because now they're fishing. So it was an interesting mission. Like, oh man, that's gotta be super frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> like, Oh, I just wanted to hit the button. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Awesome, man. So, um, so you ended up, um, having some teaching time at the Academy too. So did you fly first and then go back and teach or how yeah. did that come together? Yeah. The, the Academy tries to get officers with fleet experience, to come back, uh, to teach. And I was a company officer. So kind of managing, a company of midshipmen and all the human things that go into that. Yeah. Um, the, the HR, if you will, in regular speak. Uh, but you, like, honestly, my wife was a Marine at the time and she had the opportunity to go back to the Naval Academy and I did too. And we're like, well, we could go back and work in the same place. And that would be really cool. So I, yeah. I always laugh. Um, one, it's a rare opportunity, but that's a good one. Yeah, that, that was like, that was why we did it. I mean, there are other, I got a master's in leadership through that opportunity. Like that's part of going back. Uh, there's, there were a lot of like, oh, this seems like a good idea, but that was a main reason. And so midshipmen, you know, the best and the brightest would come into my office and expect this, uh, you know, me to talk about how wonderful they are. So they'd ask why did you come back to the Naval Academy, sir? Like expecting, well, because I want to work with the most amazing people and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, my wife works in that building right over there and it's pretty sweet to like work in the same place as her. <laughs> her face is just be like, oh. oh that was okay, not as well, inspiring as I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, honestly, like it was, like I said, you, you got to listen to SecDef talk. You got these opportunities that I didn't, right rightly value as a midshipman that were amazing uh working with midshipmen is pretty incredible like you know all these men and women are going to go out and lead sailors and marines in crazy circumstances be it landing on a destroyer being you know having a platoon in iraq or afghanistan and like every ounce of effort i poured into them being better leaders more selfless more humble more competent 
would translate to those sailors and Marines. So it was, I, I think my favorite tour, even counting flying. It was really, really pretty rewarding. Yeah. That's cool. I think there's a lot to be said for that. When you have that, gr- that gratitude kind of comes back at you for, you know, your efforts and stuff. Right. Better than a medal sometimes, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, nice. So how long total, um, were you in? Yeah, I, I did 10 years active and I'm wrapping up my reserve stint right now. So, okay. Yeah. How many years reserve? Uh, this is five. So 15 okay. total people look at me like, what you're leaving after 15 years, you know, you could retire. Right. And, um, I do, but you know, sometimes you got other priorities. We've got, uh, a daughter and another one on the way and my wife's an orthopedic surgeon and I'd rather support that than, you know, get deployed to Djibouti. So, right. Yeah. A buddy of mine, he, um, went to the Naval Academy and was active duty here, got out, got a really cool corporate job. Um, so I had to move across the country and went into the reserves and wouldn't, you know, it like a year into it, he gets a year long deployment. Yeah. Just had his first baby, you know, like that's yeah. hard. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's not really the expectation. I wouldn't think when you're like, okay, I'm going to do the reserves. I can kind of cool it on the military stuff a little. And it's like, boom, there you go back in it. It's pretty common. Honestly, like having done both, I think there's a stigma like, Oh, reserves isn't real military. It's way harder to be a reservist. I mean, military, like you got your deployment schedule and you've got your unit and you train with them and you have a job and you go do it. And you know, I appreciate people thanking me for my service, but I get to fly helicopters and watch eclipses over the coast of Malaya. Like it wasn't, it was great too. Yeah. Like there are sacrifices, but it's great. A reservist, you're just, you have that hanging over your head. Like, Hey, we could call you up and send you to Qatar for a year. And not to mention, you know, the army training in, you know, Alabama or someplace, maybe yeah, less savory than San yeah. Diego right. for four months that, you know, yeah. so I think reservists don't get the credit they, they deserve. Yeah, it's a tough gig. And I watch like, you know, we see all the stuff happening on the news and they get, you know, they activate the National Guard even for like, you know, stuff happening here in our country. And that's not easy. Right. You know, like, I mean, here they are doing the regular civilian job and it's like, boom, your life just got put on pause. Right. And now you're, you know, dealing with whatever rioters or whatever the thing is you got to deal with. And you don't know how long. Right. There's yeah. going to be a week. Yeah. Maybe six months. Look like COVID, you know? Yeah, that too. I mean, so it is a hard job. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, definitely a difficult position. Um, so you transitioned out. Um, did you know what you were going to do when yeah. you got out of active duty? Did you, did you have like a plan and like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going full charge or yeah. what was your thought process there? Yeah. It's funny. I, I don't think on active duty, we don't think in those terms, you know, we've got our job and, and we're working 80 hour weeks and that's what we do, uh, is our job in in the military. And then we transition and, and to his credit, the department of defense, I think is trying to make that better. They have more and more programs like skill bridge yeah. is amazing, you know, go do an internship with another company and learn. Um, did I know what I was going to do? Yeah. I had my plan and it was a crap plan. (laughs) I thought, I remember, you know, I was, I was hiking in the, in the Olympics and that's where all my best thinking comes like outdoors doing things. And I was like, I got to think of what I want to do. And I love teaching leadership. Uh, I love doing things outside. Like, I think this is a great place to do that, to teach leadership. I'd had some experiences at the Naval Academy that kind of like really solidified that for me. Yeah. So I thought, okay, the obvious play here get a PhD so I can work in a university 
and create the thing that I know, like experiential leadership training that the Naval Academy already does a pretty good job of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that became my goal. And I applied to a bunch of different PhD programs and business, um, had no clue what I was doing, interviewed for a PhD program at George Washington University from the South China Sea on the POTS line from the carrier, which I think is so <laughs> funny. You know, it's like 4 a.m. for me and whatever time, 6 p.m. for for them. And I didn't ask any questions. I didn't ask, like, what does this program focus on? Like, what are the outcomes? Uh, what's a day in the life of a Ph.D. student? You know, I just heard like, hey, we're going to accept you. It was like four people out of 200 applicants. Wow. So I was like, wow, like I don't, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. You know, it's kind of like imposter syndrome. Like I'm, yeah. I, I don't want them to find out that <laughs> I'm just a schmuck who, you know, flies helicopters and you got lucky getting into this program. I got yeah. super lucky. And I didn't ask those questions. And within like two months there, I, I, it was clear to me that that wasn't where I should be. And, uh, that was the hardest decision probably of my life was to leave that program after a semester. So they were paying for it. It was prestigious. Um, it was a PhD. Yeah. It was the clear path to where I wanted to go, you know, to, to go to a university and do this stuff. And, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't right. You know, it was research focused. It wasn't practical. It wasn't creating, you know, the PhDs that can be research focused or practitioner focused. So you can get a PhD so that you can, do consulting or run a business or you can do it to research and they were heavily research focused and they're researching things that weren't relevant to my purpose, my dream, where I wanted to go. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was hard. So I, when I talk to veterans transitioning, I say, ask tons of questions. Totally. Uh, I talked to a lot of honor foundation fellows these mm-hmm. days. Like I, I got into that network and they see what I do and they're like, you do stuff outside all the time. I want to hear hear more, uh, which I get like, it's fun. And, uh, and that program does a really good job of connecting them to people like me and they can ask questions, you know, like maybe they think, Oh, outdoor stuff is amazing. And then they ask me how much we get paid and we're like, "Mm, that's not going to support my family. And so they can make better decisions getting out because we don't think about it while we're in. Yeah, no, that's true. I think, um, and they are doing a better job. Like the skill bridge thing has, has been big and yeah. they're trying to do some more stuff from that transitioning perspective, which is totally needed. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, um, but yeah, ask lots of questions. That's, that's a really good takeaway. Um, because so many people just think like, oh yeah, well I'm just going to go get a job. Right. <laughs> well, right. And, and that's the plan. And yeah, you maybe land a job, but you know, not having those, those questions and, the right answers to understand like, okay, what is my life going to really look like, you know, as a civilian doing a job at X dollars a year compared to where I'm at now, like, how does that change things? How, you know, there's going to be a shock factor there a little bit too, you know, right? because now all your income's taxed as a civilian in the military taxes, small part (laughs) is taxed. Right. And the rest of it just shows up in your account. So, you know, like there, I mean, that's just one example of like how different it is. So even though like, pay on civilian might be higher right. in theory. Well, gross. Once it hits your account, different, different story, right? Big time. Big time. So yeah, I mean, ask tons and tons of questions. So, so tell us about now. So you have your, you have a leadership business right now. So walk us through like, and, and I know a lot of it, and we talked before, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of it outdoors and that's, you know, your, your methodology. Right. Um, 
but tell us kind of, you know, what is, what, what is a business that teaches leadership? What is that? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Uh, <laughs> I think it, I'm going to be philosophical here. A good business that teaches leadership ought to leave clients, people uh, with more questions and answers because we just talked about asking questions like that's kind of a leader's job, right? Uh, there's a great book, Don't Turn the Ship Around by Captain Marquet, I believe, David Marquet. And he was a captain of a submarine. And, uh, you know, in the military, you, you get this, like, I'm the captain, I have to know everything kind of feeling, which sets you up for failure as a leader. Like, why? Why would you know everything? You have expert sailors who work this equipment every day. And so he kind of makes a case, like, you should be walking around asking, how does this work? And not like, show me how this works so that I can tell you things you didn't know and prove how smart I am, but like legitimately, how does this work? What is your day like? Ask those questions and be curious because that's how you find out that things aren't working in a business, that people have issues that they're not telling. Cause nobody comes and tells you their issues. Right. Like they hide them because we're all trying to float along in this life. Uh, and we're not going to go to our leaders and say like, I have this big issue at home or like the way that you speak shuts me down and I don't want to talk in meetings or like that. It takes a unique person to, to do that. So if you leave a leadership development experience, more curious and more willing to be vulnerable, more willing to ask authentic and genuine questions, that's a better outcome to me than, you know, a checklist of these are five ways to motivate people. Well, great. Maybe they work for your people. Maybe they don't. Right. Everyone's different. Yeah, everyone is different. And, um, you know, we, we use, um, like the disc assessment mm -hmm. a lot, which, um, is a pretty good way to kind of understand your people and how they'll receive communication from you or instruction right. or motivation or, you know, what, what the personality will be willing to accept or how they'll approach you and stuff like that. So, um, helps give, you know, a little bit of insight. I mean, it's not a perfect system, but, right. um, it's helpful in that regard. And so I try and leverage that keeping it top of mind is, is the other struggle, but <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the struggle. Yeah. We, we're disc certified to, to provide it. And, and yeah, it's like, great. I've got this amazing report and it tells me what I should do when, you know, like if then statements, if night replies or email in all caps, then night isn't mad. It's just the way you communicate or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, He's yeah, trying to remembering be Remembering it in the moment when you get an all caps email and you're like, what the, <laughs> Why are you yelling at me? And I'm exactly. angry. Uh, it's different. Yeah. Um, so in your, in your business, um, tell us a little about kind of the outdoor component as far as like how you leverage being, you know, outdoors and all that stuff in tandem with teaching people leadership. Yeah. It's, it's really just the best place for personal and professional growth. Uh, what's cool about the outdoors, even if, uh, you know, we didn't have good curriculum, which we do and didn't have great coaches and guides, which we do. It makes you happier, healthier, and more creative. And there's more and more science out there that shows that. So being outdoors makes people 50% more creative. We think more differently we're unplugged from our cell phones. Uh, we can grapple with problems with different parts of our brains, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it makes us healthier. Like there are health benefits from relieving stress, lowering blood pressure, increasing white blood cell count. It's crazy. Like we have this amazing, it's like a miracle drug and people are like, nah, I'd rather just pop aspirin and sit in my dark hole 
of an office. It <laughs> breaks my heart. But yeah. what's also amazing about it is that it gives real time opportunities to reflect on and use these things. So if we're talking about decision making, there are decisions that have to be made. You know, if we're backpacking, we can take this route or this route. And this route is more beautiful. This route is easier. And invariably, some of the group wants the easier route because they're maybe not in as good of shape. And some of the group wants the beautiful route because it's beautiful. And you're like, great, here's mm -hmm. the theory. Here's OODA loop. Here's how teams can make decisions. Here are some different strategies. Go. And people have to use it. And they're emotionally engaged with it. You know, the outcome of the decision matters. It's not like, here's a case study from Harvard Business School about this company that you haven't heard of and don't really care about. What would you do? How would you make the decision? Like, that's valuable but you're not invested in it in a emotional way, in a somatic way. Yeah. And so you don't remember it as well. Right. Yeah. That, that emotional connection to it on top of the intellectual piece, right? You had to think through it, but yeah, I like that. That emotional yeah. piece is what makes it stick. Right. I mean, if we look back at like experiences in our lives, right? The ones that stick out the most had a strong emotional connection to it good or bad, whatever it was. Absolutely. And those are the ones that come to mind when you think of past events, right? It's how we remember things. I, I think of, you know, we take people rock climbing, which is super fun and it's scary. And, you know, a lot of people get stuck in the middle of a climb and they're scared and they want to give up and they're clinging to the wall. And you're like, Hey, just take a break. Like you're on a rope. You can just sit back and like, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. You know, it's, and it's funny cause I've done it a, a hundred times, but, um, they will work through that. Maybe they sit back and take a breather and shake out and like, Oh wow. Like there are all these holds I didn't notice cause I was fixated on where I was or, or maybe they just take some deep breaths and oxygen, whatever it is, they find a way to work through that fear. And then the next time they feel that fear, they will remember that solution. So when they're in a board meeting and they have a presentation, adrenaline's amped up and they're, you know, forgetting things they're like, Oh yeah, take a deep breath or, just take a quick break, shake it out. You know, those things transfer, which totally. is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's way easier to bring back to life once you've just had to go apply it. Right. And, and do those things rather, you know, versus reading it. And I've read some cool, like great leadership books, you know, John Maxwell, yeah. you know, probably the king of authors in the leadership category. Right. Right. Um, and tons of great value, but you know, books I read, you know, 15 years ago on leadership, it's hard to recall all the great little tips and tricks because I didn't right away go outside and start applying that right. particular thing. I just read a chapter on, you know, um, I mean, you hope that it sinks in over time and you can apply it, but right. you know, that's the hope, right? So that's really cool. So how long have you been doing this business in this fashion, doing the outdoor combination with it and everything? Yeah. So we started the business, uh, three and a half years ago, I guess. Okay. And started, Really, the the way that we're doing these weekend adventures, uh, maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, since then, we've done 21 of these adventures, taken over 100 people out on these adventures, which is is cool. You know, we started at Joshua Tree. And now we're doing adventures. I'm heading up to the Olympics in Washington State next nice. week, which is I'm so excited. Uh, we That's gonna be fun. We're going to the Smokies in Tennessee, Shenandoah in Virginia. So. It's a, it's a good part of the job. We just think, where would be a cool place to go? So you guys go leaders? all over the place, not just here in Southern We're California. We're all over the place. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. So do you guys set up stuff? Um, are you, I guess from a clientele perspective, are you looking for like, you know, leaders in a company to like do kind of a team thing on a weekend? Or are you 
looking for just one-offs who want to just get some additional leadership training or what does that typical person look like for you? My favorite answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do both. We work with teams. It's, it's kind of fun. And a lot of times that's during the week because teams, you know, don't want to take up their employees weekends, which I totally get. Uh, their employees ought to be out doing stuff outside anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, we, you know, we, we have 12 core competencies and we really, we think of our curriculum as a buffet. So we take all the relevant research, sometimes conflicting research. One person will say this and one person will say this. We don't believe in like the 10 key elements of leadership from Karen leadership. We believe in giving people a bunch of different tools, asking them, which one are you going to use on Monday? And then calling them on Tuesday and say, did you use that tool? That's how people actually like, yeah. grow. You need that accountability, right? Right, exactly. So, yeah, we'll work with a team's leadership and say, you know, these are the three competencies we want to work on and design a trip wherever they want, which is cool. You know, if they're a team in Texas, okay, great. We'll figure out permits and go to Big Bend or, or you know, wherever. Uh, focus on those things and activity that's approachable and yet also challenging for them. Uh, but I'd say our bread and butter is bringing different people the, the one-off, you know, people who are unwilling to waste life, who want to dig in and be better leaders to learn, uh, they sign up and we get a range of, you know, a 22-year-old plumber to a business owner. And that conversation is powerful. Yeah. Because if you're 22 years old, you get a lot of perspective from a business owner. But a 22-year-old plumber is going to be like, that doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? You know, to a business owner, where as a business owner, you just don't get that. Yeah, you're not going to get your 22 year olds at your company, yeah, but, <laughs> you know, asking you questions like that because you're the big guy at the top. You yeah, know, yeah, you keep trying to communicate with me by email, but I use TikTok. I don't, I don't know TikTok. I, yeah. I'm afraid of it, but <laughs> just an example. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think it's pretty cool. So, do you, you know, like kind of in your everyday life, do you have like a a lens, like you kind of see everything through. Cause I mean, leadership is your thing. So, right. I mean, like, I mean, I'm just thinking like, you know, I watch the news or I'll hear about something like, do you have kind of like that leadership filter now? Like, Oh, well this guy is a terrible leader or, you know, he's pretty yeah. good. Like, do you have like those thoughts Ooh. when you're just kind of doing your everyday stuff? Yeah. I mean, my thought is never to judge. We we're, were talking about character and authenticity the other weekend while we were climbing in big bear and, uh, we brought up the man in the arena quote by Theodore Roosevelt. I don't yeah. know if you're familiar, but it's, it's not the critic that counts. It's, you know, the person who's in the arena who's bloody and sweaty and um, under the trials and tribulations. So rarely do I look at other people as leadership. And I, I usually assume I'm like, Oh, there's something there that I don't understand. So I, if you, to answer your question, I think the lens is curiosity. Okay. Um, and always digging deeper. So we just finished the leave no trace trainer certification for six of our guides and leave no trace. Like when you look at it, it's like seven principles, how to respect the outdoors more, like where to bury your poop and why it's pretty basic. But when you start scratching that surface and you start looking at the ecosystems and like what's happening to the poop and why you should bury it some places and not other places, it gets really complex. Same with leadership. Yeah. You know, like I mentioned, there's no rule to leadership that's going to be different in different places. So I usually my lens is, well, what's going on there? What what do I not understand yet? And how could I apply that understanding to what I'm doing? Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Funny that we got to talking about poop, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love talking about pooping. Don't in the most woods, conversations, so. especially as a parent, end up yeah. going there, right? Um, <laughs> uh, no, but that's that's really cool. Um, I just, you know, I've, 
as you're saying, I'm kind of thinking like, oh, maybe get the, the leadership of my company to go do a yeah. weekend thing or week, you know, during the week thing would be pretty cool. Yeah, um, that would be great. Not only for the knowledge and practical things we would gain, but also just the camaraderie and the teamwork piece too, right? Well, and you ask what's different outdoors. That's hugely different. The The places people are willing to go, the vulnerability, I think because we're all a little bit vulnerable, like, hey, we're sitting under a mountain and it could like storm on us or hail on us or drop rocks on us or like, all these things that mountains can do. Like we're all vulnerable. We're all in this together. And all of a sudden you're talking about things that you would never talk about in a work context or in a conference room, kind of touchy feely, like let's get to know each other where you're just having that conversation hiking. There's not, we don't even have to do anything. We just say like, Hey, talk about your core values. And people are like, let me tell you about my core values. I've never told anyone this before. And it's, that's neat. pretty amazing. That's really cool. Um, so what's, um, what's next for you guys from a, from a business perspective? Are you looking to, you know, add more people? You have like a, you know, a growth projection or what are you guys aiming to do? Yeah, we, we, I mean, I firmly believe that the way that we're doing leadership development ought to be done by everyone. Like we are our best selves when we spend time a outdoors and b on adventures. And it doesn't, I mean, that could be a cooking class if you never cook, but getting out of your comfort zone and doing new things and exploring the world. Like we're big about this idea of transfer. You can experience things. If you go to a cooking class and realize that you've never added salt and that's why your food isn't tasty with a good coach there, salt could be part of your culture in your business. It could be like, I never appreciate what people do. And then you can transfer that. And then now you remember it. Cause you're like, Oh, it's like salt. Like, Hey Jason, thanks for what you do. I appreciate that you cleaned up after I left yesterday or whatever. Yeah. Um, so we're big on this transfer. So it's just a powerful place. So where we're going, uh, we want to do a spoken hub model where we're going to look at into Seattle and DC. Those are the two markets that we're going to be focused on for the next two years. And then we're looking at Nashville uh, Minnesota, North Conway up in New Hampshire and, and getting good people. We have amazing people. Our guides are, you know, ex special forces people who now have a PhD in leadership or people who have led expeditions all over the world and are now studying, uh, at Vanderbilt to get their masters in leadership or people who have coached thousands of people. Uh, you know, like we look for people with really cool experiences and different perspectives, military, civilian, uh, who then we can teach leave no trace in, in wilderness medicine and like how to keep people safe. Yeah. And then they can take leaders out and canoe and talk about deep things. That's Hopefully cool. not the river, but like business. <laughs> yeah. This river is really deep. <laughs> um, so yeah, we want to, we want to grow into a hub and spoke and, and get more and more people out on, more varied, you know, we're, we're canoeing for the first time this year. We're mountain biking for the first time next year. So that's meet cool. people where they are, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's really fun, man. Um, so how do people, how do people get in touch with you and, and find out more, you know, if they're thinking about this might be something cool for our yeah. team or our company, how do they, how do they dig into that? Yeah. So I, I think LinkedIn, I'm, I haven't checked, but I think I'm probably the only Knight Campbell on LinkedIn. So uh, connect me with me there. That's easy. Uh, the website's karenleadership.com, C-A-I-R-N leadership.com. We have a guide named Karen and she's like 
maybe you should just call me KJ because this isn't working for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> is it all modeled after you, Karen? Yeah, she's awesome. I would model the business after her. She's she's pretty good. But uh, yeah, the website, LinkedIn, emails, night at KarenLeadership.com. And, and I joke, you know, COVID, a lot of people just made the assumption that you got to be on Zoom. Uh, I talked to a lot of people and said, hey, we can do 30 minutes of Zoom, but after that, like, would you like to trail run or go for a hike or mountain bike? And a lot of people said, heck yeah, like I've got a mountain bike. Let's do it. So you want to learn more, like look me up and let's go mountain bike or climb something or hike and and we'll talk. I love it. That's really cool. Um, well, Knight, thanks so much, man, for sharing your journey and your story, yeah. man. So cool. Um, and I hope, I, I know that, that we dropped some really good info on people, you know, talking about everything. And so I hope that people, you know, gain something really good from this. And, um, and I hope they reach out to you. I'm, I'm definitely going to look into it for, for our group here. And, you know, I think it would Sounds be, great. I think it'd be fun and yeah. getting outside and, and doing some of this stuff is, is absolutely, uh, the way to go, especially after being cooped up for the last year and a half. I mean, yeah, people have got to be like scratching at the walls to go do something fun outside. <laughs> Demands high people, even the people who are like, I would never rock climb are like, well, if I get to talk to other people face to face, like, Maybe I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's simple motivation, yeah. right? <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thanks again. Appreciate your Thank service you, and what you do. Yeah. It's awesome, man. Thanks for serving our community. Thank you. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode. If you have any questions about the guests on the show, please reach out to me at valoneguy.us.